If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Chaz Smith, welcome back to The Grit for August 3rd, 2023. So good to be here, David Lee Scales. Middle of U.S. Open week. How many times have you been so far? Zero. How many times Uh have you been? Uh, Zero, but I'm going today. I'm going to Travis Frey's Factory by the Sea. Okay, good for you. I was hoping that you would. Yep, I will. Uh, For those who missed last week's show, Travis was on to discuss it. And it is happening, I think, where? The Pacific? Pacific Some, City. Pacific City, which is across the street, if I recall, from the Pier Zone. Yep. Uh, and you know, I can't remember the hours of the thing, but it's running for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I do believe. I feel like, um, let's say 6 o'clock. It could be 5.30, it could be 6.30, but let's say 6 o'clock is kind of start time where the doors open up, and then they premiere the movies when uh, the sun goes down at dark. Oh. I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm disappointed that you're not joining me, to be honest. Well, um, I apologize. Like, what people don't know is it's a two-hour drive for you. It's a 30-minute drive for me. So if anybody's going to be there, I should be there. But um, I'm turned off by the whole experience at the U.S. Open. I'm sure that Travis is putting together a phenomenal event, and that would be cool. Um, but I don't. the parking, the crowds, all of it is just such a hassle for me at this point. I'm going to re-embrace it. I'm going with a fresh, open mind, ready to experience the best that mid-level professional surfing has to offer. As much as I um, don't look forward to things like that, I'm always thrilled once I do go participate in it and you see a bunch of people that you haven't seen for a long time. And the camaraderie is what I miss, I suppose. It's true. It's true. And I'm going full well expecting all kinds of camaraderie. 
Do you know what films they're showing tonight? I have no idea, to be honest. Uh, okay. I wonder if it's on the website. Um, Be- the Noah Beshin film is playing, I don't know if it's tonight or one of the other nights, the, Co- um, not Chris Moore, but Coco Ho film, I think, premiered last night. And then, of course, their own film, Inherent Bummer's film, um, Surf Film surf Part movie. 2. Or yeah, Surf Film Part 2, yeah. Well, whatever it is, is going to be a treat. Sweet. Yeah, so Pacific City, for those who don't know, is that huge development that they built seven or eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago now. So I don't know where in Pacific City, because that's just the name of the development. Zone, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know which unit they're in. Like, is it a, you know, an empty space or was it a former store or what? That you got to figure out on your own. But anybody who's down there, go check it out. It's in the evenings, the factory. Um, have, free beers, free foods, if I recall. Yeah. Have you been uh, watching any of the event? I have. I watched the. I keep getting drawn in and fascinated by uh, the longboarding component of the event. Actually, going to the website to watch or just watching clips on Insta? No, actually, like tuning in and saying what's going on, and then I see that it's longboarding, and instead of turning away, possibly like seeing a car accident on the street, I turn it on. And then what really draws me in is Joe Turpel and Pete Mel and whatnot, the gang, commentating. Yeah. It's weird. Is it's it so good? weird. No. I mean, okay. it's like the, I mean, on like it's, yeah, the waves that I've seen so far have been objectively terrible, which nobody expects anything much more from Huntington Beach. And yeah. I think Huntington gets, for the U.S. Open in particular, but maybe all the time, gets a unfair shake, right? Huntington is a fun place to surf. Totally. Uh, And Huntington can put on a good show even and has, you know, oftentimes put on a good show for the U.S. Open, like where they'll get waves and they'll boost and they'll, you know, put on a show, right? Yeah. Uh, This year's been awful. But the longboarding in particular is worse because it's mushy. Like, and so they're kind of trying to walk the nose in the soup, basically. Like it's... The wave is already crumbled and they're, yeah. it's not good. And then you got Joe Turpel and Pete Mel talking about it. Like the, the absurdity of it all uh, is like real peak for the longboarding component of the U.S. Open of Surfing. They've taken what they're forced to do for a living and turned it into a high art. Like yeah. the, their, their ability to act enthusiastic about incredibly mediocre surf and surfing is amazing. I mean, it's truly, I mean, it's truly though their brains must honest to goodness be mush because to have to watch that, which I've asked this for a long time about the wall of positive, positive noise, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, like in watching it, why can't they just say, man, kudos to these guys. They're doing the best they can. You guys can see what they're doing. We don't need to call this action, right? This is not great stuff. Uh, so Pete, Mel, and I, we're just going to talk story. We're, if we have to talk about something, we're just going to sit here and talk about our lives. Or we're just going to let you listen to the birds or something. Anything but, like, really. And now he's running up to the nose. He's got his toes off the nose for a little cheater five. That's really, oh, man, we got some power flow style there. This is exactly what the criteria, just nonstop jibber jabber. Yeah. There's not does a lot make to you, discuss. Does it make you want a longboard? Um no not really i mean when i watch when i watch what they're doing on those waves i realize that's the right equipment for what they're for the type of waves that they're riding 
So there's that, like, oh, I wouldn't paddle out there on a short board. I guess, you know, I would longboard if I had the longboard. Um, but have you seen have you seen the new CI longboard, the CI I, log? I have, in fact. Wayne Rich's uh, input on that. So, yeah, the OG. Um, but Did you see the clip? Devin's clip? Yeah. That made me want to get a longboard, actually. Watching Devin surf that thing. You, I, and on a point break, I was like, holy cow, Devin, put away the mid-length. You are a logger. Like, that I mean, is incredible surfing. It truly is. I mean, so, what? like, that clip, and I like, of course, anything Devin puts out, I watch, and I always think, that dang Devin Howard is a stylish surfer. He makes anything look good, right? And makes that CI log look so good. But then when you log on to the US Open of Surfing and watch them longboarding, yeah, again, I suppose the old chestnut right equipment for the right wave and I suppose those waves, there's, I mean, they should all be on soft tops, to be honest. It should be like yeah. a fun soft top battle. True. But you're, you're right. The difference there is that Devin's riding a point break and yeah. that makes all the difference in the world. But as it relates to the U.S. Open, I've just seen it on Instagram. Basically two or three times a day, WSL posts a clip and it's like eight point ride. And the first slide is like an image of the surfer smiling with the score. And then you swipe over and you get the video. Never once have I felt like it was anywhere near an eight point ride. You know, I see the score and I'm like, wow, somebody got a sick one. I'm excited to see it. And it's a nope. very, very mediocre ride, you know, not so, excited to see it, which I understand they're scoring that in the, you know, in the context of the heat on the scale that they're using. And so that's it's an eight in that environment. But it's a terrible it's not entertaining to watch is no. And I mean, again, goes right to the heart of some trouble, if not the trouble with our World Surf League is and like everything is cranked to 11 all the time everything is has to be great everything has to be good uh i mean not good everything has to be like the best right yeah, yeah. and i mean i don't know if we're gonna get into it but did you watch surf girls or hawaii surf girls or whatever it's called i've got a lot to say about it yes we are gonna get into it okay so we can we can pause there i guess on that okay. but the world surf league uh again they just like what you see and what you hear are so different and i don't know how they're not thinking we should just like join these up we should either say hey this is this is not the best but this is part of pro surfing there's a way to talk about it there's a way to say these are difficult conditions these are and by difficult we mean bad can't we just say the word like two foot huntington everyone looks at it and says that's shitty that is shitty surf well the most viewed moment from the event is a quote provocative man fight breaks out at u.s open cementing huntington beach's reputation as toughest town in the west exclamation true this is the thing that this is truly the breakout moment of the entire u.s open of surfing and it it always is every time (laughs) every five years at the u.s open there is a physical altercation and sometimes there's dozens like when there's the riots that make up for the years that there aren't so I'd say we're averaging five fights a year at the U.S. Open, yep. if you count those riots. I like that everybody is taking, I mean, I think you truly set a precedent and a high bar back at the uh, in Florida at the Surf Expo. When you saw a fight about to break out and you seriously, you took your job as cinematographer seriously. Yes, I did. You got your phone out. You captured the moment. You didn't like get shy and pull back. You continued in, even in the face of a weird John Pizel, you kept shooting. Uh, where now that's what happens, right? Everybody, we got that fight. It looked like from a couple angles. Yeah, we did. 
nobody jumping in, nobody jumping in to sort it out. Nobody, people, I am a cinematographer now. I well, so for listeners, I presume most people have seen it. I'm going to ask you to detail the backstory in a second, but essentially what happened was two pretty beefy dudes and muscle heavyweights. Yeah, heavyweights with muscle, and then I'd say you know a thick layer of fat over the muscle. So beefy dudes sitting very, very uncomfortably close to one another, but having this intense, it looked like there were two different groups of people, but it's so crowded that you then end up sitting within six inches of one another. But they're going forehead to forehead arguing about something is where the camera picks it up. And you're like, wow, this is getting intense. One dude headbutts the other dude. The guy just kind of takes it, doesn't even retaliate. They end up on their feet, and the head butter is throwing blows and uh, severe blows at the other guy. He body shot loosens him up and then lands a couple of head shots, one of them on the chin, knocks the guy to the ground. Then he climbs on top of him and chokes him. And uh, people aren't really intervening. I was expecting there to be a melee of people to break up the fight. And there's even an authority. I saw a lifeguard. The lifeguard just standing on his walkie-talkie. He's not about to touch it. Right. So... It was a pretty serious fight. I mean, as when you see an internet, when you pull up something on the internet and you see that people are going to get into a scuffle, rarely do you see a, a punch connect with somebody's chin. Sometimes there's arms thrown, you know, but they're just flailing or something. Hey, this makers, was like yeah. multiple shots landed. So what is the backstory as you know it? Backstory, and I was happy to get the exclusive backstory quickly right away from somebody from Boots on the Ground who knew the whole story apparently. And they were two roommates. Uh, the one roommate told the other roommate he was getting kicked out of the house. And so that's what the fight was. Uh, and the guy who landed all the who landed multiple headbutts and landed multiple punches is the guy that actually went to the hospital at the end. So I didn't know he that. was he was hospitalized. Yep. He, so the, the guy who won the fight was hospitalized? No, he didn't win. The, like that's oh. the thing is the the guy on the bottom. He took him down, and however he choked him out or something was yeah. Because you see that guy, the guy who t- took all the shots, is the guy who gets up at the end and kind of staggers away. The other guy's out. He's like laid out on the sand. So he and, lost the stand up battle, but won the grappling battle and ultimately the fight. Which is, I think, if anyone in our modern day and age, both of those guys look like they trained some form of MMA, right? Like the the guy, the punches the guy were throwing was throwing were not like they were great punches, right? They were good punches. form, like proper punches. And then clearly when it went to the ground, the guy clearly knew you, you could see him with his leg, even though he was on the bottom, his leg, you know, he got the guy in whatever that jujitsu move is. Uh and yeah. But yeah, ambulance, apparently ambulance had to come and he was taken to hospital and like fully hospitalized. Who got uh, kicked out of the apartment? (laughs) I mean, that's, I'm assuming the uh, guy throwing punches and the guy who got hospitalized is the guy who got kicked out because he was the rage filled one, right? If you're getting kicked out, I I mean, if you're the kicker out, then you're not going to be throwing punches. So who knows? That's, I don't know how the exchange went down, but it, you're right. It logic would indicate. Yeah. Yeah. Logic would indicate. And so, but he has a new room, I guess now at the hospital. So that's nice. <laughs> and some, some nice well, medical bills probably to boot. Here's what I love about that story. Now. I never really like to see a fight, to be honest. It kind of turns my stomach a little bit. Like I just, yeah. I don't, I don't like to see it. 
But um, what I like about that story is the guy took those punches without really retaliating very quickly. Like the fact that he had fighting prowess in his arsenal and he did not bust it out after the third or fourth punch was kind of it's very impressive. It's true, but also in the comments, people were saying, uh, look at how slow they're moving and suggesting that there might have been substances involved, i.e. weed or booze. Like, I don't think molass- anybody... molasses substances. That's true, but I've never seen anybody get in a fight on weed. Well, that's what Let's I'm saying. Say though. That's, but, yeah, but like maybe the puncher was boozed up but maybe the punchy was just stoned and so he whoa uh uh-oh uh-oh took a couple blows and then slowly it dawned on him that he was getting punched in the face i think we got to the bottom of it yeah and that now oh now i gotta act right that is that is takes him down that is definitely what happened now um well i'm glad to hear all that backstory because it makes the fight a lot more interesting to me i mean to be perfectly honest of course like and i'm i'm with you in terms of when i see two people fighting I am not the combat sport kind of guy, right? Like even a UFC fight, I'm not a, I like boxing. I like stand up classic boxing. Uh, that's pretty much it, right? Like the rest of it, ooh, like the those, like, I don't know, the sports center moments when the guy gets kicked right in the face and they have yeah. like slow motion, just like, boom, like, I totally understand the appeal. That's not my thing. Uh, and I feel the same way watching a fight I'm always inclined to break it up. But yeah, I guess people were entertained. And so good on those guys and good on the people who were entertained. It just, uh, it, we're becoming, you know, like the this is the downfall of civilization, essentially. Things become so gluttonous and uh, you run out of problems. In Rome, they build a, the Colosseum for gladiators or, by the way, prisoners to throw in with the lions because the people need entertainment. And yep. that's kind of where we're at now. The UFC, certainly. And then things like this, if there are people standing around and applauding, that which is the worst, when there's somebody actually getting a beating and everybody else is not only doing anything, but they're filming and applauding it, this is the downfall of civilization. I mean, waiting waiting for it to get worse, too. Like when the When those guys were up and when the one guy, because, yeah, the guy who was getting punches to the head not one person like at that point you would have thought okay this has gone on long enough he's now he's got two solid i mean he had his face had to have been just a bloody mess at that point too because he took two or three solid headbutts right to the nose like yeah there's no way he wasn't like kind of a bloody mess at that point yeah but people are just like Woo-hoo, i know give it to him insane yeah. well it's probably reflective of the culture of huntington beach to be perfectly honest and the long storied history of uh, fighters, street fighters that come out of Huntington Beach. There's I mean, a long Huntington's, Huntington's mayor was once uh, Tito Ortiz himself. Tito Ortiz, and before him, do you remember Tank Abbott? Yeah, <laughs> Tank Abbott entered the UFC. I mean, he was the predecessor. He was the Huntington Beach bad boy before Tito Ortiz took that moniker. Yeah, and his. Uh, they used to give the style, they would give the name of the fighter, their age and the style of martial arts that they practice. And, you know, Hoist Gracie was Brazilian jiu-jitsu, obviously. Somebody would be judo. There was a sumo wrestler. His was pit fighter. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm not even sure is a real thing. I think it's just from Mortal Kombat. (laughs) So, So Tank Abbott shows up with a keg of a belly 
the other the his fight opponent has a six pack he has a keg right and then he would just annihilate all of them with his wiry pit fighter pit fighter wily pit fighter stylings and um i don't know if you know this his name was david lee David Lee. Really? Yeah, it was his actual oh, David awesome. Lee Abbott, and obviously his nickname was Tank. He got a degree in history from Cal State Long Beach, which is where I got my degree in psychology. So I've got a lot in common with Tank Abbott, actually. Love it. Uh, the uh, yeah, <clears throat> those early days of UFC. What was it called? Was it called UFC back then? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's what I like. I really remember in a young college student like they would get people would have like the bootleg video of it yeah and i was fascinated maybe just as a holdover from silly childhood stuff of seeing which style is better does the karate guy beat the wrestler does the and when i suppose ufc got boring to me is when you realize oh wait no hoist gracie beats everyone Mm -hmm. brazilian jiu-jitsu beats everyone everyone now does brazilian jiu-jitsu and throws in a little kickboxing and so it's all the same i mean there is the ufc style of fighting where I liked the karate guy in his in his gi versus the sumo guy in his, you know, whatever, G-string. I literally saw that fight. You know, the karate guy came in and kicked the sumo guy in the teeth and his teeth went <laughs> flying into the crowd. That's not a joke. That was like UFC 4 yeah. or something. Yeah. It was yeah. fascinating to watch those two styles and they had no rules. So not only were there no weight divisions, but there was no rules. So the karate guy ends up, uh, Keith something was the guy's name, but he ends up in some hold where he's kind of like pinned down, but he can get a fist free to punch the other guy in the nuts. And he's just <laughs> punching him in the Speedo as hard as he can. And it was totally legal. <laughs> and they'd have to fight. It was like a like a surf contest with a bracket structure. So they'd have yeah, like they had like fight five again. fights by the end of the night, yeah. you know? So Hoist Gracie if in the final is just like exhausted. Yeah. The night. And, and probably really- injured. But that was real fun. And then so everybody just, everybody learned right away, oh, yeah, can't beat BJJ. Which, again, any fight is going to event... Like, any fight with somebody who knows how to fight is going to go to the ground. And then the person with their crazy armbar, blah blah is the guy who's going to win the fight. Yeah. And it's like... And that's the weird thing, too. When, again, to your naked eye, guy goes who got punched in the head goes down on the bottom. He took the guy down on... You know, on top of him, but clearly knew what he was doing enough to yeah. hospitalize him. Incredible. Well, we got to do a ranking at some point of not only Huntington Beach's best fighters, uh, Huntington Beach's best fights. Because That's if true. you reflect back to the riots of 2013, I guess 10 years now, um, there was so that was right when like cell phone video became commonplace. And so the riots in the 80s, you know, there's just news footage basically of fires and stuff. But this, and from like helicopter angles, in 2013, there was a bunch of point of view shots on the ground filming various fights. And the best one, which I haven't been able to find in years, uh, I've searched for it a couple of times, was a guy at a stop sign. You know, like there was cars still trying to move through the streets, but all the rioting was taking place. So then they're throwing things at the cars and that sort of thing. So a guy was trying to get out off of Main Street, a driver and a passenger, and they're at a stop sign and somebody does something to the car. And the passenger gets out of the car, walks over, one punch KOs the guy who threw something. Then that guy's friend runs over to help. Boom, one more punch, that guy goes down. And in the course of eight seconds, he knocks out five dudes with one punch. Yeah, Each, you know? I, remember, I remember that one. 
and then gets and then like at that point nobody wants a piece of him so he gets back in the car the crowd parts and they make their turn and they exit and it was like wow that was gnarly man to be able to have like a one punch arsenal like just know i can take anyone down with my one punch would Mm -hmm. be a superpower that you would yeah have to guard closely which is chuck liddell i mean speaking ufc chuck liddell from back in the day he was a he was uh, from San Luis Obispo, and that was his thing. He would go out to bars and like look for fights, essentially, and just KO people. Just you know? one punch knockout. Yep. Yeah, and then made his way into the UFC with that, and continued to apply it in the UFC. Actually, yeah. Well, hey, um, when does article number five thousand happen? We're in the last ten. I feel we're in the last ten. I just crossed over, the, so we got ten more. So I figure if I keep on pace. I was really trying to get 10 done by uh, U.S. Open. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, oh, I just put one up today and forgot to mark it. Uh, mm. Shoot. I'm going to have to go back and adjust. Is so it I have nine more. Okay. I have nine more. Are um, you, yeah. What What is going to be the 5,000th? Have you mapped it yet? I, I don't even know. Okay. Just, who knows what it's going to be. It'll be a new story, good. though. It'll maybe be about Sarah Brady. Hmm. Are you working on something? No. Okay. Just, <laughs> it's time for her to pop up again. Yep. <laughs> um, well, pros in the wild. I think maybe it should be a reflection on pros in the wild because this has become such a lauded segment. It's so true. Somebody won a wetsuit last week. Uh, Aaron on the North Shore won the Buell suit for that wonderful story about Laird Hamilton. Phenomenal story. Undeniably the best story that had come in throughout the month. Uh, by the way, there's been lots of great stories that have come through that I have not shared. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens. And I've got more that we're going to continue through this month with and give another wetsuit away. So keep them coming. But I want those people who sent stories that didn't get read on air to at least get acknowledged. Negatron sent three stories in one email. Epic. Um, there was a Chad Muska story that was excellent, even though Chad Muska is a skater. Uh, Rob Machado story that sullies his reputation slightly and i can't quite vet whether it's true so i'm apprehensive to share it (laughs) (laughs) i sent it to rob and i was just like you care to comment on this um there's an adriano story there was a kobe aberton story but ultimately they're not the stories don't have necessarily the structure of that laird hamilton story with like a setup and a zing and then like uh, reflections they're just encountering these people in the wild you know what i mean and they're great stories they're just not necessarily the same i mean i think i think what makes a pro in the wild story as this develops into its own genre is there's also a level of surprise in yeah. the you know and the surprise could even be that this person is exactly or this pro is exactly what everybody thinks he is right like yeah. like tom curran's stories in the wild are oftentimes oh uh did you get that footage too of tom curran in his singlet um i'm not sure i love the uh i love when a segment or like a pro in the wild thing or whatever we talk about it and then somebody will send photos so there was the pro in the wild of tom tom curran in the santa barbara Surf contest, surfing, crappy. Oh, yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. Tra- it was Travis. Travis yeah, talked Trav- about yeah. it. Surfing, uh, Tom Street. Curran. Yeah, surfing crap and just coming out. And somebody sent me, who was the contest photographer of that contest, sent me all the contest pictures of Curran, which is epic. Amazing. I'll, I'll kick him over to you. Yeah, they're, it's like, you know, Curran exactly as Travis described. Garbage surf. Curran just looking kind of curran 
Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, the the world, the surf world is small enough to where those dots get connected within a week of us publishing yep. stuff, you know? Yep, that's great. Um, well, I want to take a moment before I read you a couple more Pros in the Wilds. Um, the Laird story that we discussed came right uh, before a Forbes article that you covered uh, about Laird Hamilton. A writer for Forbes interviewed Laird in the softest ball interview I've ever seen in my life. I don't even understand why they do these interviews. Are they for like... Uh, it must have been... A, it was It was like things I do when I travel. Like So it, ha- <clears throat> it had a theme and it was probably brought to you by Delta or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to. I'm just like, yeah. what is the purpose of this article? And if you are a journalist and a writer... You should be ashamed of yourself if that's the assignment you're getting. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I mean, it's, it's that the, bad. It's, it's the cub little guy who just, or the AI algorithm who's just like kicking Laird questions about but, his travel style. But to your point, Laird never doesn't deliver. Laird no. is always interesting. It's a terrible interview, terrible questions, and yet Laird gives these insights that are like, man, that's kind of interesting. I did, had no idea that Laird Hamilton had any taste at all. Laird is like, yeah. yeah, luxury Laird Hamilton. He carries a Yves Saint Laurent travel bag. He, as his go-to, like there was elements in there of Laird's, which I don't picture Laird as totally bourgeois. Of course, he lives, splits time between Malibu and uh, Maui. Should be come as no surprise that he lives a luxury, dripped lifestyle, but he does. Well, I feel like after reading that, that you've modeled your life after him secretively. I, I didn't know. And now I know. It's pretty great. Well, so question. I, I was like, that Yves Saint Laurent bag, right? Duffel carry-on is what he's talking about. He's like, I've had it for 12 years. The thing's bulletproof. And I'm like, okay, what is... I don't even know what those things cost, right? So I Google it real quick. Let's say it's between two and $3,000. Yeah. Okay? Five. Depending on which one you get. Or sure. Whatever. And I'm like, okay, I guess... I could be talked into aspiring to buying that for myself at some point if it was that much better. However, I have bags that are 12 years old, that are bulletproof, that are great still, you know, that cost me less than $100. And so that's where the question is like, what is the difference? It's the branding. That's all it it, is, right? No, it's the difference is, uh, I think the quality is better. You know, it may... A cheaper bag obviously can last just as long, but this one was really built, especially like Hermes, right? Like, of course, an Hermes carry-on, let's say, would run you from, I don't know, from men's, say, starting at five grand, right? Except that bag was genuinely hand-stitched by an artisan in France, by a French artisan who's, you know, like the whole Hermes story, like... That you're buying not, the story is what it is, though. Because at, at a certain point, the materials are equivalent. Sure, but like, again, this is specific to Hermes. Yeah, like yeah. the Saint Laurent could be, you know, made in Vietnam or whatever. Who knows about that? But the, like, if you're going to get a quality bag, but then also, so you get it and sure, you like, okay, maybe it's the same-ish quality leather or something or blah 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 except you yourself will feel better carrying that into the airport. You will walk a little taller doors will open a little quicker you will get that upgrade or you will scoot right into your life improves in like ways that you can't quite put a finger on with the luxury items it's a good argument i understand the argument uh dress for the job you want not the job you have and you kind of level up to it 
I understand that. I, the question, I guess, is everybody's budget then at that point, because is the Hermes bag doubly better than the Yves Saint Laurent bag? Or is it just the difference between a nickel and a dime to you? And if it's no, the difference I think, between I mean, a nickel and a dime, spend the dime and get the better one, you know? Yeah. I mean, Hermes is like, I think for leather goods is above everything. Right. Well, and I would, ch- I would love for feedback, but as I understand it. Have you seen that documentary about um, Ferragamo? Uh, yeah. Um, made by the guy who made Call Me By Your Name. Yep. That I forget what that filmmaker's name is, the Italian dude. But um, yeah, I watched that Ferragamo documentary and I'm like, I get it. Like that came from a tiny village in Italy where cobbler at the time in the 1800s, being a shoe cobbler was the lowest of the low. But yeah. he learned it from the ground up, made his way to America, made his way to Santa Barbara, which is where films were being made at the time, and then made fil- shoes for Hollywood, basically, for the biggest celebrities because he had developed that craft. And so I understood, like, he knew every process of shoemaking and made the best shoes, period, full stop. But 150 years, 200 years later, everybody knows how to do that. And there are shoes that are being made for 100 200 $300, leather handmade shoes in Italy to those same specifications that don't have the legacy and the story. And that's why they're only 200 instead of 2000, you know? It's true. And if you, and if you are going to go out and find the handmade Italian shoe, you know, et cetera, et cetera, then good on you. The one that's really crafted, but also in terms of shoes, like, you can't beat a Gucci loafer. I just got a new pair of Gucci loafers for Father's Day. Ooh-wee. They're like, <laughs> you cannot beat a Gucci loafer for a shoe. Like, it's just, that's what they do, right? It is specifically Gucci yeah. loafers. Like, Gucci clothes can come and go and, you know, their belt, whatever. A Gucci loafer, a horse bit loafer, you can't beat. Some things yeah. are just best in class. I'm going to wait till Laird chimes in on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing that you did not mention in that Laird article, though, that I thought was really interesting and a big reveal was he only foils now. No more serving. Yeah, I was I, totally. I almost I almost threw that in. But then I thought it sort of just went without mentioning. Like, it's funny, the guys who age. And I think this happens. Like, I know Al Merrick at the end was only doing stand up because his back was such that, yeah. you know, it hurt and whatnot, where I think the the. Yeah, it's funny or not funny. It's just, I think, true that at some point, not everybody, but it seems like that shortboard or popping up, that kind of thing, it just gets to be too much. And so if you're layered, you just go out and foil. Yeah, it's more interesting in a lot of ways, the foiling is. I've, I started doing it a couple of weeks ago. Did you? Yeah. Went you got to, a foil? That's why I went to North Carolina was for like a foiling mission. Lesson. Yeah, lesson, wow. like an intensive three four-day camp actually wow yeah and that's a a shocker yeah well everybody's been talking about it and speaking of the virtues and like it opens up the number of days that you can be in the water throughout the year you know uh but ultimately what it is and i think what laird's tapped into is your um your brain is operating on so many different levels when you're out farther away from the waves and you're surveying a vaster amount of water you're looking at lumps that are coming in from 100 yards out and aiming on how you're going to get there and use that energy and 
so there's just, it's like it's more intellectually stimulating than surfing. Surfing becomes boring compared to stuff like that. And you're going faster, by the way. You're using a lot more muscles in your body. Like it's more engaging in your body. Were you uh, paddling in or how are you getting in? Yeah. they. So the way that they do it with the lessons are you start on the e-foil just to get mm-hmm. comfortable. And then go to a tow foil, like behind a jet ski. Yep. And then from there, take one into the ocean and try to catch waves and do the surf foiling. Uh, at the end of your four day, how, what did you grade your foil ability? Question one. Question two, are you going to get a foil and foil here? Yeah, I am going to get one. I'm not in a rush to get it, but I am going to get one for sure. Uh, I see the value of it. And, um, there's just so much, I, I don't know. It's just, it really appeals to me in a lot of ways. But in terms of how I was at the end of four days, I was like a very beginning level surfer. Like I could catch a wave and get to my feet and then wipe out basically. Like get to my feet and get the thing lifted up fully yep. flying. And, you know, kind of let's say last three to five seconds once I'm fully flying before I eat crap. Okay. So um, it's just very, very hard, man. Yeah. It's, so, it's, but you're but you're into progressing. Yeah, you're in, you're on a new path, and this is what you're gonna do. Totally, gonna, totally. And I don't player. think I'll give up surfing. You know, I'll still surf, but I think this will become part of the repertoire for sure. What learning or n- knowing what you know now? Where is your ideal foil Southern California spot? Ooh, because it's not in the beach break. It ain't. I saw some dude yesterday. At Seaside Reef, where there's obviously no waves here, he was like past it to Boneyards or whatever, Tabletops or whatever it's called down there. Uh, and he was just lapping, right? Yeah. He, there was nobody out there. There was obviously, right? Don't think you can have a foil in public, right? Or in People try, but you shouldn't. It's, be- it's not for him. Yeah, yeah, I would say somewhere that has reef with lots of swell, let's say, where it's kind of like maybe the um, the waves are breaking on the inside of the reef you know, uniformly, but kind of outside there is swell that kind of pops up and doesn't necessarily cap or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Then you can kind of tap into that energy and kick out a one and get another one. Cause what I, what, um, the guy who was teaching us the lessons was doing was he'd paddle for the junkiest little wave. Like I'm kind of sitting out the back waiting for a set wave and he's sitting way inside and he would just take, he'd just paddle in and get a junk wave simply to get to his feet and get going. And he would, get up and riding, pump, pump, and then kick off the back of the wave, pump past me, and then get the set wave that I was waiting for, essentially. Okay, yeah. You know, and ride it. So I was waiting for a good wave, thinking I'm using the opportunity, the the benefit of the good wave to learn what I'm doing, and that's really not what you're doing. You're just looking for a chip shot to get to your feet. Sounds like a life lesson there. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) It really does. That's what I love about foiling. It's like a metaphor for life. Um, anyways, Laird's foiling, which, you know what? I got to level up, level up yep. to the, to the Yves St. Laurent bag and the foil. Better life, man. Well, uh, congratulations on Laird for having a banner week between Forbes and our little show. And, uh, congratulations to Aaron for winning the Buell suit, BuellSurf.com for those of you who want one. And then we're going to give away another one at the end of this month. So all of the submissions from today will go into August running. I'm excited to hear what our submissions are today. We're starting from scratch. Uh, Yariel from the Space Coast says his story is called Goat in the Wild. Mm. What's up, DLS and Chaz? I just wanted to share a quick two-stage pros in the wild story. 
I came up through my teens in the 90s surfing up and down the Florida coast one particular Lake Atlantic day after scouring the Space Coast for any semblance of swell. I found myself at dusk with a buddy perched on the rails of the boardwalk that leads out to the first peak at Sebastian Inlet, pondering our ride home without ever even um, laying on our surfboards. Then, as stealthy as a ninja, appeared one Kelly Slater, the current world champ, holding on ex- holding an extremely sexy Channel Islands under one arm and an extremely exotic girl on the other. Uh, As he walked past us, he looked over and said, What's up, Groms? We were in awe, but also confused. Not only was it flat, but it was high tide and onshore. What happened next was surreal. We had been watching it for an hour. It was completely flat, yet one minute after Kelly paddled out, a set wave was refracting off the jetty. We watched as he caught countless waves and blasted the craziest airs we had ever seen at uh, at that point in time. Then, just as stealthily, As he appeared, he was gone. A few weeks passed and my buddy and I found ourselves in a similar situation, this time further north at 13th Street, Coco. We sat there again, pondering what we should do as we looked out at the flat ocean again. Then a luxed out Mercedes SUV pulls up and rolls down the windows. In the driver's seat was Kelly, who just looked at us, laughed and said, hey Groms, you wanna catch a ride? You wanna catch the high tide at Smyrna? We looked at each other in disbelief. We jumped in and tried not to act all like aggressive fanboys despite being totally enamored. Honestly, the whole ride seemed like it was just any other ride with your friends. Just a couple of guys blasting punk music that we had heard in surf videos and talked to, talking about our favorite sections the whole ride. In the water, after the first two waves, Slater paddles up and said, airtime. Then he spent the rest of the session uh, sending every variation of air you could imagine. Anyways, a bit long-winded, but for as much as we kicked down the goat, he was just another surf-stoked rat from Florida like the rest of us. It is strange now to be retelling this story on a podcast. Florida was such a strange and transient place. I've got plenty more stories from backstage with Donovan, watching Curran inside at the inlet uh, in, in NSB, 5 a.m. nose beers with Bruce, beers with the Malloys, Perkins sessions with the goods, um... Many random Lopez sightings. It was all the norm in Florida at the time. Keep up the work, Yariel. Love it, Yariel. That is great insight. And I love Kelly taking kids on rides. Look at that. I do. And I think he summed it up nicely with, you know, it's easy to make fun of now, but he was just a surf-stoked kid in Florida. Like Totally. That, and, and the making fun of, again, is maybe it seems... I mean, maybe when I call him bad names and things like that, call him a shithead. What do I call Kelly sometimes? I don't know. Butthole. Dumbass. Dumb shit. I think I call him a dumb shit a lot. He is that now, and but that's okay. Like, it's all in love. Is it? Well, I mean, sure. If Kelly called me a dumb shit, I would say it's sweet. It's true. <laughs> well, Kelly, uh, surf stoke kid from Florida. That's hard to hard to not sympathize with. Yep. The second story, so that's the... Front runner, he's winning a wetsuit right now. Yep. <laughs> Don't so read far. another one. Sunny, uh, sunny day in Point Loma by Leroy in San Diego. I've lived in and around San Diego for the better part of 50 years, a skateboarder who surfs. Surfing with pros and former pros was never that impressive, with obvious exceptions like Justin Poston, Rob Machado, Joel Tudor, Rob Bain, Hans Hiedemann, Skip Fry, Saxon Boucher, the Weatherleys, to name a few. These 
These types of pros are really good at what they do, but as a skateboarder and a Mexican, I was always gravitated to the Hawaiians that I saw in the Wave Warriors videos. The Hoes, Dane Kialoa, Johnny Boy. They were more radical and almost violent in their approach. It reminded me of skating. They had dark skin like me. They were the surfers that I watched and that I tried to emulate. Fast forward to the early 2000s. I'd surfed everywhere in San Diego. I have respect for and a disregard for localism. San Diego is all bark and no bite. Countless times I've seen in an altercation idle at words. I started spending time at an infamously localized spot at Sunset Cliffs, a notorious clown show of grumpy locals, stiff never have beens and their kids. The demographic, mostly upper middle class, comfortable white men, bigoted, uh, and as local as they come. I spent five years working my way silently into the pecking order, getting my waves, never burning anyone, no leash. I'd surf the wrong tides, the wrong swells for years. It was Bird from Bird's Surf Shed who opened the door for me because I ride weird boards and we both had a mutual love for leaks on white enchiladas. Uh, one day, uh, I'm out with just two other grumpy locals, just three of us on a pleasant head high morning, three to four waves per set every 10 minutes and enough playing field that we don't really have to interact with one another, you know, perfect. That's when I noticed two, uh, the two locals sitting tight in a huddle, talking, pointing at the shore, seemingly irritated. I'm nearsighted, so I can't see the shore, but I've seen this a thousand times before. The two grumpy locals devising a plan to dispatch whoever's paddling out in hopes of adding a couple more waves to their count. The surfer on the shore starts paddling out and the grumpy locals start posturing. I think this is great. No attention towards me. A set comes through. We get all the way, we all get waves and we're scattered. And then on the last wave, uh, the, the last wave is headed directly for the newcomer, who I now notice has particularly massive shoulders. He lowers his head, casually strokes into the wave, slides into pig dog stance, and now is easily identifiable as one Sonny Garcia. He sticks his arm in the wave to stall, then releases and weaves around the hook. No leash, just gets absolutely drained and comes flying out just like I've seen in the movies and unlike anything that I've ever seen in real life. The grumpy locals are pissed and they don't know why, but it's clear to me, Sonny just surfed their wave better than anyone and it was his very first wave there. He proceeded to do this over and over again and then hit the lips so hard and throw so much spray that he'd actually be hitting it again before the spray from the first turn even landed. Faster, bigger, better than any surfing I had ever seen. Incredible stuff. Eventually he lost his board and I retrieved it on my way back out and I paddled it to him. Quote, I got I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I got to say something, something cool. Here's my opportunity to be heard by this impressive man. I slide the board to him and he says, thanks with that little speech impediment. And I melt down and just say, thank you, Sonny. Like Ralphie in the Christmas story. I screwed the pooch. What a queef. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Sonny take a breath, paddle out to the grumpy locals, and squash the animosity. Turns out that he had just signed with BYB out of uh, North County Backyard Boards, so he was spending a lot of time in the area. That day changed me. Watching how a true professional approaches the wave made me a better surfer. That aggressive but accepting approach to the wave was so informative. His let the surfing do the talking attitude was radical, and how he moved water was like witnessing blunt force trauma. 
Thank you, Sonny. You made us proud. Sincerely, Leroy. I want to put Leroy in the in the pole position. I agree. Ah, that's a great story. With Sonny in particular. I'll tell you what. The lack of interest in the Sonny saga is baffling to me. Um, well, I got another story, but let's get into that for a minute. Uh, I mean, what is what is the Sunny update? Well, okay, so the there's no real update, right? But there was a Instagram account of is it free Sunny Garcia? Something like that. Some like basically saying he's under a conservator conservatorship. Uh, nobody knows, nobody's seen him, or kids haven't seen him in I think three years. Is that what it is? Something like that. Maybe. Uh, and so the first free Sunny Instagram account got killed, but a second one came up. But now there's like. There's court documents. There is people getting sued for violence. There's, you know, care caregivers, I think, is suing somebody. But, like, there's a ton of weird smoke. Uh, Sonny's girlfriend or ex-girlfriend, Lori Park, um, is a, one of the first Google engineers, right? Is yeah, very wealthy. Yeah. But is one of those very wealthy people who's able to, has basically scrubbed themselves from the internet. So you can't find anything about her. But... Whatever's happening is a story and the lack of interest from both the surf world big and the surf world small is utterly confusing to me. I, I'll tell you what I think it is. I don't think it's a lack of interest. I think it's such an ugly, ugly subject and we don't have all of the information. So it's difficult to invest yourself or to speak on it without knowing I who's telling you. the truth or what's what. But I thought I Derek, Derek's article, I thought, teased it apart just enough for me to understand that I actually don't feel comfortable engaging in it. I mean, it's it's uncomfortable. It's something, if if Sonny is in fact not, I mean, the assumption is that Sonny's a vegetable, right? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, yes. but if he, if he is not, and he's in Texas, his kids can't see him, there's just enough there where... You know, and Sonny, where are Sonny's friends kind of? Like, I, I mean, I think that, you know, Sinead O'Connor passed away this week. And I think it was Bob Geldof, the musician, uh, who was friends with her, excoriated the press and everybody else for basically writing tributes to her. You know, all the people who came out afterwards and said what she meant and blah, blah, blah. He's like, none of you were here when she was alive these things should have been well, being said and written when when she was alive and specifically those people writing those tributes were the ones who vilified her yeah when she did speak out against the powers that be precisely yeah. and so i i think there's a similar thing with sunny like where sunny's not dead yet so where like when sunny dies there's for sure going to be you know this outpouring of everybody taking to instagram and you know, lionizing and writing tributes. But where is somebody asking somebody in a powerful position? A Kelly Slater, for example, who, you know, was friends with Sonny. Where's Kelly? Why is Kelly not asking, hey, just for information? You know, like. I, Maybe he's just... investigated it. I would presume his close friends have investigated it privately and probably gotten answers that. Um, were not worth sharing publicly. You know, like let's presume that they are satisfied with the answers that they've got, that he's getting the care that he needs. And then at that point, what what point is there to share that information publicly? 
I mean, I just think there is a point in the public interest, and Sonny was a public figure, just to say, even if they know something, they don't have to go into detail, but just say, hey, look, I know that this is an awkward situation, but I think it's being handled as well as it could be handled. I think that would be the the, um, responsibility of Lori Park if she, she is the caregiver. I think she should share that update. For whatever reason, she has chosen not to. I will say what I gleaned from Derek's writing was, well, the, I'll give you the update, but let, we should give people the backstory first real quick to bring them up to speed. A number of years ago, Sonny Garcia was found in a, I think a hotel room in, in Oregon, Oregon. Yeah. Um, allegedly have, looking, having hung himself. So he was found hanging. Is that the, what it was? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I okay. think he was found, but it wasn't dead. Got uh, it taken to the hospital, revived, came out of his coma in what appeared to be a, you know, not all, yeah, not all there. Right. Like, uh, and then after that he was taken to Texas. Well, he needed in that state, you need a tremendous amount of full-time care and medical, medical care. Right. And so his family doesn't, doesn't, or he didn't have the resources to cover that indefinitely, but he had a girlfriend, Lori Park, who does. And so apparently she took the responsibility and that, and then went into hiding essentially. So we haven't seen updates, but what we had seen were the account that you're talking about, the free Sonny Garcia account, where it's, I thought it was the voice of his children basically saying, okay, basically saying we don't have access to our dad. We want access and Lori is not giving us access. And this is, she's basically holding him uh, captive, you know? Well, the lawsuit that was filed within this past week was from Lori Park against Sonny Garcia's father, apparently, yeah. for $1 million. And the lawsuit states that Sonny Garcia's father has made false accusations about Lori keeping Sonny uh, held hostage. And it also indicates that the police have actually been out like he calls the cops he's been there to see Sonny and then calls the cops and says this woman's holding my son hostage the cops came out and none of that was substantiated so the lawsuit it seems like she's doing what she feels is right and the authorities apparently have come out and surveyed the situation and probably have sided with her based on this but she can't keep fending off this public attack from his family. And so she's filed this lawsuit to protect her against that and to show publicly that she's actually providing him the care that he needs. Totally. Which, And I'm not suggesting that Lori Park is the bad guy here or that, you know, there's just, I think, you know, there just needs to be some kind of public to, to pretend that Sonny wasn't a public figure. Yeah is you just he was a public figure and so there is you know some kind of duty to at least tell the you know the public everything's okay it's under control or whatever right like the the secrecy around it is what is well troubling and the the lack of interest in that secrecy well i think that his family i understand their side of it too they're idea whatever their expectation is for level of care is not being met in their mind right and so Lori is saying you know i'm doing it to my standards and i'm the one who's actually here doing it and i'm the one who's actually paying for it so you know that's where the disconnect is and so the family is being very public on social media and she's taking that as defamation and so she's protecting herself as she only she knows but 
I understand both sides, but it is such a delicate subject that it feels ugly to try to parse. Yeah, I mean, and it does, but again, I think there is there is some value there, and yeah. not to not to keep going, but I the, mean, yeah, reaching out to Lori might be the way to. She's really there's like yeah, I mean, I've I'm trying to find a way to reach Lori, because yeah, like her, and of course she could say no comment all day, but it's I, rough. I what I. The worst part about it is reading the uh, outpouring of, you know, from his daughter, from his children on that Instagram account. Uh, It's just whether they are justified or maybe they've misstepped with Lori or whatever the case happens to be. It's just sad to have somebody wanting access to their dad that badly and not being able to have it, knowing that he's still alive, you know. Yeah, it's really rough. It is very, very, very ugly. Well... We've got another story that um, will uplift us. Hopefully. It's Sunny with a Side of Andy is the title. Sweet. So, hello, David and Chaz. This is Scott writing in from Misawa, Japan, I presume is how you pronounce it. Uh, As a staunch grit listener and an ardent supporter of anything Chaz, loved Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell. I've been a devoted follower of the Pros in the Wild series. I've been touched by the listeners' tales each one stirring in me an urge to share my own my own story. However, being a man of older of the old school, a believer in the less spoken the better, I never felt compelled to narrate my experience beyond the casual chats over beers with my closest surfing comrades. Yet, after listening to the show, I was inspired. It felt right to share a tale that might reshape perceptions about one of our greatest legends and perhaps perpetuate the narrative around another. It has been exactly 20 years since this story took place. Some memories have faded and exact words have probably changed, but this is how it happened to the best of my recollection. The story unravels in 2003, a year etched into my memory as it was my as my wife was 6 months pregnant with our first child. We embarked on a journey, driving from Sydney to the Gold Coast and back in a camper van. We drove our way up and down the coast while I surfed, soaking in the thrills of Australia pre-social media. It was the lead-up to the first ASP event of the season at Snapper. With a multitude of pro surfers and their entourages descending upon the site, I decided to pitch camp at a lesser-known yet high-quality point break a little south back on the New South Wales side of the border. So, on to the heart of the story. Almost immediately after paddling out... Sorry, my dog's freaking out. Mailman must be here. Um, Almost immediately after paddling out, I observed none other than Sonny Garcia, brazenly cutting off a young grom on a set wave my initial reaction was disbelief this that looked like sunny and then recognition yep that was sunny and yep that's par for the course following sunny shay lopez caught the next wave then Corey lopez and then lo and behold andy irons this was the year after his inaugural world title incredibly the hum- this humble offbeat spot was invaded by a who's who of the surfing world of the time. As a lifelong surfer from Florida who'd attended university in Hawaii in the mid-80s, I was awestruck by guys from my home state and legends from Hawaii. Sonny cemented his reputation with an unapologetic passion for burning, back paddling, and snaking, making it into an art form. No one was spared, from old men to the youngest kid. He was very equitable, I learned that word in your last podcast, in his pillaging. 
he would have made Christian Fletcher blush with his no Fs given attitude. The Lopez brothers, meanwhile, were cruising, not hassling, and effortlessly riding the best waves. As for Andy, he didn't catch many waves, but the ones that he did were a sight to behold. And there was one incident that is seared into the cringe compartment of my brain. A set rolled in, and of course, Andy went first. I got maybe the fourth wave of the set, doing a few turns and speeding through a middle part, the middle part of the point. As a goofy footer, this is a tricky section to make. As I started to pump to create speed to float a long section, I spotted Andy paddling out. He was right in the zone where I needed to land the float uh, to round the section. I was certain that I could maneuver past him since I saw him paddling towards the shoulder and so I committed to the move. Mid-paddle, he seemed to reassess and be concerned that I might actually have the speed to float all the way to where he was. And in that moment, he panicked and began to paddle towards the inside. Caught in the momentum, I was mid-float when he changed direction. My miscalculation and his sudden reaction redirection led to our paths intersecting at precisely the wrong moment and just like that i found myself on a collision course with ai we both we connected and then both bailed our boards tangled bailed as our boards tangled underwater my mind raced with thoughts of facing sunny and ai's wrath on the beach or worse catching false cracks by the world champ himself despite being a decade older than andy i was panicking thinking i had ran over the reigning world champ thankfully when we surfaced there was an exchange of awkward apologies ai surprisingly took the blame saying that he shouldn't have paddled uh, started paddling for the inside it was a strange moment for both of us as we started paddling back out, I said, hey man, I just want to wish you the best of luck this year. I hope you win another title. And being a huge fan, I was genuinely meant every word. Andy paused, sat up on his board, turned around. He was about a meter or two ahead of me. And he said, thank you for saying that. With his voice laced with sincerity, it means a lot to me knowing that I have surfers like you supporting me. He shook my hand and with that, turned back around and continued paddling up the point, leaving me trailing far behind. I couldn't help but imagine him regaling his crew later with a story about how some kook ran him over. About an hour later or so, I paddled back in, strolled up to the camper, and perched on the perched on the headland overlooking the point. My wife excitedly remarks, Andy Irons is out there. I nonchalantly respond, yeah, I know. I ran him over. Initially, she chuckled, thinking that I was just pulling her leg, but um, she recognized my serious expression and that I wasn't joking. I relay the story to her and we both start laughing. Then she curiously asks, who is that guy burning everybody? And I tell her it's Sonny. My wife in her quintessential matter of fact way simply says, oh, and breaks into a laugh. My wife is Japanese. She doesn't know surfing, but somehow she's gleaned enough to know about Sonny. That's when you know that you've truly transcended all barriers. You've become a legend known across cultures and beyond the surfing community, if only for your infamy. I often reflect on this experience uh, when I read things that do not put Andy in the greatest light. As for my encounter, Andy was the epitome of a professional and a gentleman. Sometimes I am glad that I ran him over just so that I could have had this experience. I guess the moral of the story is, if you really want to find out what kind of a person your hero is, run him over. All right, guys, thanks for all the great content and allowing me to share my story. Scott. Scott, love it. Beautiful. I'm going to put Scott in the lead, to be honest. Wow. Running over, running over a pro. Like, there's a lot of getting sprayed by a pro. There's a lot of... You know, 
blah de blah but running over Andy Irons is, I mean, that's entirely unique. Yeah, I with totally the perspective agree. too. With the perspective, Andy, cool, love it. Yeah, love great that story. story, top to bottom. Great story from sent in from Japan, no less, which makes it extra cool. I think. You know the the if Scott maintains, I mean that would be legendary. If Scott maintained a whole month's worth of lead, uh, but if he does, Japan needs wetsuits. That's true. Need, it's cold water over there. That's true. By the way, Aaron, who won the wetsuit last month. Um, was traveling traveling in New Zealand when I sent him the email. Perfect. I know, and he's like, "Man, it is freezing here. I wish I had this wetsuit for this trip." I mean, can't he just get get a sent straight to New Zealand? Um, yeah, maybe. He's probably not going to be there for that long. Yeah, I think well, he's on vacation. So. Extend your date. Extend your vacation. Um, well, let's do a tools to live by. Brought to you by Vayer Watches. Vayerwatches.com, our favorite watch brand. We were talking about luxury products and layered earlier. I mean, this is the example that I was kind of making, the metaphor that I was making with, there's there's handmade Italian leather shoes now that are just a fraction of the price of Ferragamo's, right? This is Veyer. Veyer exists in this modern market where they have access to the best quality materials. They have all the, all the technology, obviously, that any of the fanciest watches have. They're assembled in America by craftsmen, like you said, and it's like a fraction of the price. I mean, it is a, uh, again, like quality is quality. And Vayer is as quality a watch as I've ever had. Totally. You know what I realized after working with Vayer for a while is the watch market that currently, or that existed just prior is conglomerates. And they own all of the luxury brands and they own the low tier brands. And yep. so you either get quality and you pay a handsome fee for it, or you get not quality that's inexpensive. That left a gap. For Vayer to come in and be like, we can just do this locally, service our local community, build them to our specifications, and the consumer saves money. It's a beautiful watch that genuinely works. I wear it surfing all the time. Like, yeah, it's, the best. it's a, it's really truly a yeah. watch worth having. Yeah, we we use the solar dial that you do, doesn't have battery. You never have to charge or never have to wind it. It's just runs on solar power. I think 30 minutes of sun exposure on the dial gives it six months of power. So you're never going to run out of power with that thing. People talk about these days how with, you, why do I need a watch? I have a watch in my pocket. It's my phone. Dang phone is A, going to die yeah. at some point. B, like, be a man. Wear yeah. a watch. Yeah, exactly. It's an accessory. Yep. Um Vayer watches v-a-e-r watches.com promo code splendor 15 for 15 percent off free usa shipping easy returns waterproof warranty all right so i'm pilfering this uh submission for tools to live by from gen c's story about Great. surf girls hawaii it was a confusion about passwords she said i broke down or i broke amazon and Chaz made me do it. All I wanted to do was watch Surf Girls Hawaii, a series recently released on Amazon Prime. Chaz tried to lend me his account, but he didn't know the password. I'm not judging. I forget passwords with reckless abandon. In fact, I managed to lock two accounts on Amazon that I didn't even know that I had. So the rule that we need is how do you manage passwords? Do you write them down? Do you keep a spreadsheet? Where does this... This is a it problem is really hard. I need I need the listener to you know ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time I have the answer. I have the perfect solution to the problem. The password one is one that haunts me because I will use a password, and then I'll use that for a couple of years, and then 
inevitably you forget it and can't or not not forget it you forget it for something and then have to do another one and so then another password will creep in right or you'll have to throw an exclamation mark on it or you'll have to add another number or yeah. something the and deviations so, yeah. yeah the d de- and so it key and so it's a version of the same but then you throw it's just my password situation is a mess and don't give me the stinking apple keychain because i've had to reset my keychain a couple times probably because i forgot the password uh and now everything is lost again and you're resetting everything again i'm in a perpetual kind of between yeah like i am one login away from having to reset every password in my life and forgetting that again so i agree with you the apple keychain or the google that remembers all your passwords for you is a problem to me because if everything is stored hidden behind one password yeah then it nullifies the need to have all those various passwords right yeah so i've got a solution for you that i'm going to offer to our listeners thank you I have an equation in my brain that I can apply to generate a unique password on any website. That you can remember? It's an equation. So I, I, I'm apprehensive to give too much information about it because yeah. I don't want to reveal what my equation is. But let me think of a version of it. Like it would be, um, let's say your name... And the name of the website, maybe. Okay. So that oh, would make like it this. that would make it unique, like David Amazon, yeah. and then a sequence of letters, and the sequence of letters, and you're going to need an exclamation point or some sort of other, you know, because it makes you do that. So let's say the sequence is uh, one, two, three, four. So David Amazon one, two, three, four. But instead of the one, I'm going to use an exclamation point, or instead of the two, I'm going to use a question mark. Question but it's mark. it's the same every time. So that's the that's the password for amazon but then if i'm going to use netflix it would be david netflix Netflix. one question mark three four and then if it's that so it is unique to the website because it has the website's name in it but you can remember it every time you go because it's the same i am excited to lose my current (laughs) batch of passwords so i can start doing this okay now i gave you a super generic example by using my own name and the name of the website so you can't that's going to be if somebody somebody could hack and figure out what your equation is at that point, you know, because it's so simple and obvious. So you want to develop a little bit more of a sophisticated equation than the one that I just offered. But that is my solution. The equation. I, the equation is the answer. That is the tool to live by. There you go. I understand now. You, you are welcome. Gen C, you need to use this too. Yeah. Gen C, you're welcome. I can't yeah. believe she doesn't have Amazon Prime. Yeah, shocking. I was shocking blown away. I'm like, I thought everybody just had it because it pays for itself with shipping, I mean, free shipping. Not only that, but like, yeah, I mean, you get the watch stuff for yeah. free, I think. with the, Yeah, I didn't understand it. I mean, to be honest, too, I was trying to share my wife's account with Gen Z. I don't have my own Amazon Prime because you don't need two Amazon Prime accounts in a household. No, not at all. But it is, I mean, the best $100 a year that I ever spend every yeah. single year. I mean, I earn that money back times 10 on Amazon. Speaking of, did you watch Surfer Girls? So Surfer Girls, long-awaited Amazon TV series, Surfer Girls Hawaii, ruined by spectacularly untalented man is the title of Gen C's article. Her and I, Gen C was having trouble with this because she really likes the girls in Surf Girls. 
and she really likes the creator of this series, right? Yeah. It was, as she talks about in the article, it was called something else before, which I can't remember where it was. Me uh, YouTube? Yeah, I forget the name of it as well. Uh, but anyway, so it got, you know, bought by Amazon, essentially, reproduced. Uh, who is the executive producer? One Eric, Eric Logan. Logan. What does this turn into? Absolute garbage. Like, I watched it infuriated at Eric Logan. You know me and Eric Logan. I kind of go back and forth trying to think, well, you know, was he so bad? We always know he was so bad, but he was a clown we could laugh at, right? There was something in his clownness that blah 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 Eric Logan sucks bad. He sucked awful at his job. He has zero idea anything surf and actively takes good, potentially good things and makes them trash. Like, that it, thing is so awful. It's so true. We've directed some of our ire at Eric Logan towards his creepiness on, you know, with other human beings on tour and like some of his, um, you know, moral missteps personally. But if we just throw all that aside and just look at the body of work, the body of work is objectively garbage. It is awful. It is, it is worse than garbage. So from Gen C, I think Gen C really nailed it. Exactly how I felt watching. I only watched one episode yeah, me too. Who wants I, to watch one of that? Well, I wanted to watch the whole season, but I literally had to force myself to finish the first episode no. because you can identify, look, if you have a crappy meal, you can identify three bites in that it's crappy. It's not going to get better on the eighth bite. You know what no. I mean? And that's exactly what happened here. And I and I had an opinion about it, but she summed it up really well, I think, with her writing. And so she said, what's frustrating about Surfer Girls Hawaii is that I grew, it grew from a compelling concept. These women are plainly strong, engaging, passionate characters. Tell me the story about these women growing up in Hawaii, finding their way in some of the world's toughest lineups. Tell me about their fears, frustrations, and joys. Tell me about what it meant for them to be Hawaiian and about how their heritage shapes their relationship with the ocean and the wider world. That's the story Eric Logan steamrolled in his desperate effort to sell contest surfing to the masses. And I think we all know it by now that they are, the masses are just not going to buy what he's selling. The story that didn't get told that might have drawn people to follow these women and their journey that might have shown the world something about how beautiful women's surfing and Hawaii is, I'm not sure that he even saw the story or its value. And that's the shame. And I think that fully nails it is, and you were talking about this with um, the US Open compared to watching Devin ride a longboard. Eric Logan doesn't understand the difference. Eric Logan sees people riding longboards in the shore break at Huntington and sees Devin Howard and goes, these are the same things. Sweet. Devin's not for sale that we own this over here. Let's just package this and sell it to everybody else. Completely misunderstanding the value of the story. I mean, asinine and to the point, and, but then the whole thing, like, you know, now you have people, you have made the Chris Cotes and Joe Turpels and stuff of the world accomplices in your idiocy yeah. Yeah. of you make them sit and watch garbage and say, this is great. Like that's the, for those who definitely shouldn't watch surfer girls, 
was it Surf Girls Hawaii or Surfer Girls? Surf Girls Hawaii. Surf Girls Hawaii. Super, it's the worst name ever, by That's the way. It's just dumb. It's so dumb. But the, it, exactly what Jen says, the first episode at least is built around this sunset contest where the waves are knee high. I mean, yeah. those waves were awful, right? And they're trying to get the angle and make it look dynamic and trying to build in the intensity of this. Who's going to win? You know, with the burp, hooter at the end when on a waist high wave at best. And they're serving them as, you know well as i guess those waves can be served but it's all awful like yeah. it looks awful it's clearly awful eric logan just yeah is shame on eric logan forevermore so the the original series that was on Pervert youtube eric logan was called surf girls kaikaina yeah owned by alex morgan chloe kim simone manuel and sue bird together yeah. uh has a killer platform for women's sports so the problem that I had before I read that I walked away with before reading Jen's article was um, the women I didn't and I didn't watch the original series that she's talking about, but just watching Surf Girls. It's so glossy and produced in um, like a reality television show that would be on ABC's in that fashion where they're front lit sitting on the beach at sunset all four girls in the sand with the mountains in the background and tell us about what hawaii means to you basically and the girls are sitting there looking at the ocean and like looking at each other like yeah you know hawaii means to me x y and z and i'm going this is so staged and not not uh reflective of the way that these girls communicate with one another this is a production has done these women a disservice and that was confirmed when they actually had one-on-one interviews with the girls, and the girls are super intelligent, yeah, super well-spoken, really, like, you could tell. It's like, wow, the most compelling part of the series is when they just let the girl talk on her own. Because the surfing isn't compelling. Like you said, they're hyping Sunset. They spend a bunch of time hyping how treacherous and scary Sunset is, then cut to the contest footage, and it's knee-high. Yeah. And they're struggling to get a six. So, yeah. like, the surfing is not compelling. The story building that they're trying to do, totally not compelling. The production aesthetics, totally a disservice to everybody involved and the state of Hawaii. The core nut that is beautiful is letting these girls talk on their own. They're more compelling than any of the male surfers that I see on the WCT when they get interviewed. They're better spoken. They're more articulate. You know, it's just like... Get out of the way. Let that girl just be her. That's what you need to do. That's the problem, too, is Eric Logan, the, the idiot that he was, is gone. The WSL remains Eric Loganified. There's no difference. There's no, you know, they're going to have to, at season end, fire everyone, clean house. Uh, and not, I don't think the people, I think there's a ton of good people at the WSL, right? Like, I think at the top, at the, uh, what, the executive level. It is garbage. You know, you have good people there. I'm sure you have good people who know exactly how to fix it. Mm-hmm. In the and those poor souls who are there toiling under the yoke of this idiocy have to be frustrated, right? Totally. They're I mean, working with so, a broken corporation, you know. Yeah. So get rid of everyone if they want it to work. If they don't, then keep keep on keeping on because you're going to make another version of surf girls hawaii it won't be that because everything you do gets canceled after one season because it's garbage best thing make or break lasted two season yeah canceled right even though it's from the because you had your dirty fingers in it like well, just well, get speaking out of, speaking of dirty fingers i want to ask you 
your thoughts on this rumor that Eric Logan wasn't fired for the creepiness that we've discussed in the past shows, but was actually fired for back dealings outside of the purview of the WSL. Um, because you notice his name is executive producer on these side yeah, projects. Yeah, he attaches that, himself. So the and I heard from a mutual friend that he told directly from Eric Logan that he told this mutual friend that he was fired for business stealing that didn't include the WSL. Uh, that they Eric were, Logan said that. That's what he said to a mutual friend. Yes, of course he's not going to cop to. Of course, of course he's not going to. If the if the other rumors that you and I discussed are true, then of course he's not going to cop to that. But I have heard these rumors over time as well, which is, you know, a project, a production um, approaches the WSL and wants to license footage. The fee for that footage is twenty seven thousand dollars a minute, which is way out of line and so and so the people go well i'm not paying that and the follow-up negotiation from eric is well we can negotiate the rate but i need to be executive producer on the project so you look at all these projects that have come out tangential to the wsl surfer girls hawaii make or break you know was his name is on those executive producer credits so is the question is was the WSL included in that deal? Did they have the opportunity? Did they turn down the opportunity? Did they give him a green light? Obviously, the WSL knows about that one because it was so big. But it was there a point? Was that the reason for the firing ultimately? Is Was there a point where uh, an opportunity happened that he could choose to line his pockets rather than buoying the WSL? And they saw that as a violation of their you know, contract. That kind of business does not get you sent on the first plane out of Brazil. Great point. Like, mid-event. Yeah, mid-event, first plane out with the press release the next day with the one line. Yeah, like if he was doing double dealing or some kind of, you know, something like that, uh, that would have been dealt with in a different way. That yeah. doesn't get you fired overnight. That is a come home from Brazil and let's discuss this and let's craft a statement about you being gone. Yeah. And it also doesn't include the non-disclosures and the complete silence from everybody yeah. involved and all that sort exactly. of stuff. Yeah. I hear you. Well, okay then. Um, Surf Girls, by the way, on Amazon Prime, if anybody wants to go watch that, Chaz has I mean, you should you should it. watch it. If you want to, if you've forgotten what it feels like to hate Eric Logan, you should go watch that again. Watch episode one and your blood will boil. Yeah. It's terrible. Worth it for that. Uh, All right, well, let's go to commercial break real quick, and we will come back with Laird's Favorite Foods and Barrel or Not. Hey, should we say something about drinkag1.com slash surf? We sure should. We should talk all day about drinkag1.com slash surf. Can I read to you a text message that I got last week from a mutual friend? Shoot, give me a second. You're going to appreciate this. By the way, I just noticed that your uh, text messages are silenced right now. Good job. You know, I, I always silence them straight away. You're a pro, man. Okay. This message came from one Sidabruzzi. Day three on AG1. Thanks, guys. Tell Mr. Smith. I love it. Like, Sidabruzzi is a person who was going to live a long time, has lived a long time. Now, thanks to drinkag1.com slash surf, Sidabruzzi is going to live forever. And that's all I need. 
the package is about to unlock peak performance. Prepare for your best year ever, Sid. <laughs> That's what I told him. <laughs> he turns 72 on August 12th next week. Epic. We need to have a birthday party for Sid on next week's show. Well, you know what the ultimate birthday is? Is that his film Water Brothers, the Sid Abruzzi story, comes out on August 17th, the following Perfect. Week. I know. Boom. There we go. And you want to know who's not an EP on Water Brothers? One Eric Logan. <laughs> so it's guaranteed good. The production team is amazing on that. I forget who it is, but I mean, it should but be ser- epic. But also, seriously, if the package, if it's good enough for the package, it's good enough for you. That's all you need to know. Anybody who hasn't yet, who listens to the podcast and has been on the fence about signing up to drinkag1.com slash surf, that's all you, don't wait any longer. Sid Abruzzi's on the program. Sid Abruzzi at 72 is still investing. And by the way, have you seen a more graceful aging? I mean, he's still skating, still surfing, still going hard, and he's 72 years old, and he realizes the value of AG1. So that's the best. So drinkag1.com slash surf. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Yeah. All right, Chaz, welcome back to the show. Um, in that article from Forbes on Laird Hamilton, one of the stupid, stupid questions that I undervalued because I appreciated the answer was, what is your favorite food? Best thing you, you ever ate. Would you have ever guessed the best food that Laird Hamilton ever ate? I never would have guessed Laird. it. Bourgeoisie Laird. Bougie Laird. Never would have guessed it. Yeah. But Fo- it is foie gras. Foie gras. Here's the question for from, you. From a spe- it's a specific. He's not like, it's my favorite thing. I eat it all the time. He said, from a specific restaurant in Bordeaux. In Bordeaux. Yeah. It was like a farm in Bordeaux. I mean, yeah, yeah. it was literally, yeah, Laird Hamilton. If you read, if you click on it, you will think of Laird Hamilton differently. You won't think of him as a kind of burly mountain man anymore. You will think of Laird as a highly refined aristocrat. Uh, but here's a question for you. Hmm. Pate. Or foie gras. Foie gras. Foie gras. I mean, I love pâté. A good pâté is really good. Yeah. A good foie gras is truly, to Laird's eternal credit, one of the best foods on the planet. Yeah. It's also, when it's wrong, it's wrong. Yeah. The best version, like I'm sure there's plenty of people who ordered it at a restaurant and it was um, overly seared. Yeah. There's something like that, and they're just like, what is this? This is not good. But a good foie gras is the pinnacle of food. I mean, just that goose, what that goose got to enjoy before yeah. giving you his liver? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yes, I was surprised to say by that response from Laird, but it also made me think, what an interesting question. Could you even identify what was the best food you ever ate? Would you? Uh, I mean, you'd have to think about it for a long time, right? Definitely. It would take me a minute. Well, I thought about it when I read that because it actually reminded me of one of the best things I ever ate was foie gras in Bordeaux. Oh. I was at a farmer's market in Bordeaux right on the river. It was just like random Saturday morning or something where everybody gets together, you know, and I didn't, I didn't know it was going to be there. I just stumbled upon it. And there was a booth selling macaroons. Actually, I don't know which, which one is... Uh, the little sandwiches, not the yeah, macaron. 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 Okay. Yeah. Right. So the macaroons, and there was one that was foie gras and chocolate inside, like a hazelnut mm. chocolate. So it was a layer. On the bottom layer was the chocolate, and on the top layer, and they smash them together, the foie gras and the chocolate. And I just thought, that's just interesting, so I just want to try it because it's interesting. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. I can imagine. Yeah. The, the other best thing I ever ate, on the complete other end of the spectrum, uh, Trader Joe's for a long period of time, two years, had this sriracha bacon jerky. Oh, I remember you talking about this. Have they brought it back yet? No, I haven't seen it in a few years. But it was literally, I put it in my mouth, and almost the very first time I was like, 
this is the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. It was instantaneous. You should work on getting a uh, Trader Joe's Sriracha Bacon Jerky sponsorship like our friend Luke Cederman has a Jack Link's that would sponsorship. Be amazing. Yeah. Dude, there's so many things at Trader Joe's that they just cycle in and cycle out and they're like, yeah. that was so Bring, good. Why didn't it not why did it not stay? Bring it back. I know. All right, well think about your best thing you ever ate and let us know next show. Yeah, I think I've got it. Do you? Already even. Yeah, it was caviar. I can't remember what it was on. I'll get the specific. Caviar at Oscar, a Michelin starred restaurant at in Brooklyn, which just is if anyone lives in New York or Brooklyn go to Oscar, A-S-K-A. That's where you went a month or two ago, right? Exactly. Okay. Mind-bending. And the caviar specifically there. I mean, it was was a chef's menu, and a bunch of them featured caviar. I have the menu upstairs, so I can tell it next week. Okay. Yeah, caviar is another thing that it's like in the right environment with the right thing, then you get it, you know? but entirely. Yeah, but people don't often have the best experience with it. All right, Barrel or Not to close out the show and also always brought to us by Buell, buellsurf.com. Thank you very much. Uh, Oh, this fits with our restaurant conversation. Barrel or Not, ordering for your partner. Oh, okay. I'm going to say it is a barrel. Uh, If you're, yes, I'm going to say barrel, full stop. If your partner has bad taste, order for your partner. (laughs) Like, just order. Just say, I'll be having this, and he or she will be having this. When I grew up, I there was, like, you know, rules that you learned that were polite, manners. If you go on a date, open the door for your date. One of those things that was, like, I think this had to be from the 50s or something. It was Ordering for your date. Order for your date. And the way that I understood that was, you decide what they want to eat which felt so archaic and wrong to me. And then I realized at some point, I don't think that's what the rule is. I think the rule is you find out what your partner wants to eat. You have a conversation with your partner and they say, I want the chicken. And you go, okay. And when the waiter comes up, you take it upon yourself to have the dialogue with the waiter. My my partner is going to have the chicken. I'm going to have the beef. That's, I think, the polite way to do it. Politeness aside, I'm going to say... Because even in a totally non-gendered way, one, unless both of you, if both partners have good taste, off you go, on your ways, right? But also, there should be coordination amongst a meal out, correct? Like, if you say, I would like the steak, and then she says, I would also like the steak, and then you're both getting steak, well, you can't do that. Like stupid. that, That is totally dumb. So you need to coordinate. If both of you have good taste, then... You will coordinate, right? If one has bad taste and one has good taste, then the person who has good taste, it is incumbent upon them to order the right meal for the table. So it doesn't matter which one goes where, right? You're going to inevitably share. But something over there and something over here. Now I've curated a beautiful meal for both of us because your taste sucks. Hmm. My taste is pretty dang bad, to be (laughs) honest, when it comes to food. I appreciate. And, you know, she doesn't, wife doesn't order for me, but... We'll talk about it before and I'll genuinely or generally just say, hey, what are you, what are the two things you want? And then there we go. That's what we're getting. That's honestly how I end up doing it too. Cause I'm, I'm always cool with anything basically. Like I will eat anything. And Lauren usually has two things that she's deciding between. And I was really looking at this one thing over here, but I'm, I'm, I'm open to, you know, 
being redirected. Sure. The and thing? she's like, no, but I'm really in between these two things. And I go, you know what? Mine goes out the window. Let's get those two things. That's what we're getting. Yeah. Unless one of those items on the menu is a cheesesteak made with cheese Whiz, then I'm happy to go any one direction or another. Wow. Okay. That's your yeah. go-to? Yeah, I mean, a cheesesteak. There's a restaurant down here um, in the Convoy District down in San Diego for those who I think it's called Common Theory. Uh, they have a some it's just like a beer place but they have some weirdly phenomenal chef and a speakeasy that like which is a secret i didn't even i've gone there forever and didn't even know it existed it was right there in plain sight it's like a door into like a apothecary and then which opens up to a whole secret restaurant thing Hmm. anyway like uh chef must be asian ish but the bulgogi cheesesteak there is mind-bending man Last yeah. night, we went to a restaurant that was uh, Japanese-Italian fusion. Oh, yeah. Spicy miso carbonara. Mm, I can just taste it now. Yeah. That's a great combo. Great combo. Uh, yeah. With udon noodles and then bone marrow cavatelli. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Just like yeah. what a great combination of cuisines. Perfect. Yeah. All right. I'm getting hungry. Um, yeah, me too. But that's a barrel. Barrel ordering for your partner, I think, is a barrel. I got another thought from earlier in the show as you referenced uh, Laird being Laird being bourgeois. Yeah. I feel like that term's been totally misused and reappropriated in the last few years because the definition of bourgeois, Ben Bourgeois, by the way, shout out. Yeah. The definition out. of bourgeois is middle class. But it's it's middle class with fussy tastes, which Laird's Laird's tastes seem decidedly fussy. That's fair. So you might have used it correctly. But what I'm saying in, in pop culture now... Yeah, bourgeois means fancy. Yes. Everybody yeah. uses it to say, oh, the Kardashians are so bougie. It's like, yeah. no, those are the richest people on the planet. Bourgeois yeah. means middle class. Yeah, but nobody At some point at the beginning of people using it five years ago, they did not realize the definition. And now it has a brand new definition. The thing with it, I think it sounds like it, or clearly it is a fancy French word. And so people think fr- fancy French word means fancy. <laughs> That's true. That's exactly what it is. Uh, completely that. I know. I want to kick people in the shins when they use it incorrectly and then correct yeah. them. And I've just lost, it's just like a flood of people using it now. And I've just lost the battle completely. Bougie. And now yeah. it's going to have a new definition in the dictionary next year. No cap. Like uh, <laughs> I had to look that up. I didn't know what Me that too. meant either. I had no idea. I thought it meant no cap. Like, yeah, I wrote about it. I thought Chris, like yesterday, for those who missed it, uh, Joel Tudor got mad at people using leashes, professional longboarders use, using leashes at Huntington Beach. You know, classic Joel. Uh, Chris Cote responded, no cap, something, something, something. And I was like, no cap. Does that mean like, oh, the board shouldn't even have a leash plug? That's what oh. I... That's I thought what he I was thought. saying, no, Captain. Like disagreeing I, with Joel, like, no, you're wrong, Captain. I mean, you and I, again, like Old standard days. middle-aged white male reads. And so I did Google it, though, because somebody said a, a grown man should not be using no cap. So I Googled it and found out what no cap meant. So interestingly, my other thought with that after I appreciated learning the new word was it's off-brand for Cote to uh, shame longboarders. Yeah. Like Cote is usually positive. And so I was surprised for him to agree with Joel and be like, yeah, shame on those surfers that I'm commentating on for using leashes. It was a rare break of break with positive noise from Chris Cote. I know. And I expected him to also be pro leash because it's going to save the board from hitting the kids playing in the shore break. 
No, no cap. <laughs> no cap. <laughs> Man. Uh, okay, barrel or not, nah, coming from uh, the Pros in the Wild segment. Speaking to celebrities. So you see the celebrity in the airport. Maybe it's a surfer in the lineup. You want to say something, but what could you possibly say that's going to actually enrich their life in some way? If you say something, it's really only to enrich your life. Barrel and all, speaking to celebrities. This one is a tiered barrel system. No <laughs> barrel on major celebrities. The Tom Cruises, the Matthew McConaughey's, the Kelly Slater's. Kelly Slater's not a major celebrity. But uh, major A-listers, no need. The minor tier, let's say below C or D. Then it starts to jack up a little bit. And lo and behold, it's going to barrel. Because those people, C, D, below, it gives them a little spike of adrenaline. When you go up and say, hey... You know, I just wanted to say I really appreciated you in your small little indie thing or blah de blah de blah, right? Then they think, oh, thank you, right? And then also, if they react rudely, just stop bothering me, then you can think, oh, I get it. You think you're a big celebrity. You're a minor celebrity. By me coming up to you and saying I appreciate something, win-win for you, right? You're either going to out them as they think they're big time or you're going to give them proper strokes, right? And then you know that you can, okay, that's somebody I can continue to appreciate or that's someone I can disregard. Like the other day I went to a nice Thai, or uh, yeah, I guess it's Vietnamese, let's call it Asian fusion restaurant, Bird's Eye Kitchen, in, which I had a funny Bird's Eye Kitchen and Rob Machado story, but I'm going to save that one. Uh, it's a really funny story though. Anyway. Prize in the wild. Yeah. I should tell this story. The Bird's yeah. Eye Kitchen story real quick. So yeah. Bird's Eye Kitchen, Phenomenal. It's in Lucadia. Uh, great place. Uh, I should, I, I'll, I'm going to have to get permission to tell the okay. story from the proprietor. In any case, uh, the saw a ballerina in there, Scout Forsyth, uh, who dances with the American Ballet Theater. Wife took daughter up, you know, and she couldn't have been more gracious, right? And I was thinking that's the kind of, that's what I'm talking about there is... Strokes for Scout. My daughter was over the moon. She's a superstar to daughter, right? Like, everybody wins. And now I can appreciate Scout even more because of the way she reacted. And Scout, you know, doesn't get recognized daily, I'm sure. No. And when she does, it's from a true fan who appreciates her art. Totally. Yeah. But and, and but if Scout would have brushed off and like, oh, I'm trying to eat here, then I would have been like, okay, Scout, you lose status entirely because you are not a big enough star to act that way. No. Yet you're acting that way. So, so long. The only thing that I want to hear, if I did encounter Kelly Slater, or I should say next time I encounter Kelly Slater in the wild, I would love if he just looked me dead in the eye and said, I like turtles. (laughs) I'd be like, you are redeemed. You are completely redeemed. No matter what, from this point on, you get the joke. You appreciate the joke. You appreciate my art, which is... I like turtles. (laughs) And so now we're friends. Now I will... I wish that we were friends. I want to spend time with you because you got a sense of humor. Um, That guy, the I like turtles kid has reappeared in promotion for the new movie. I saw that and this guy like sent it so many times and I appreciate it and everything, but it wasn't funny. Like 
they should have like him on uh what's his name tosh point oh was a lot funnier yeah uh well it was it was smart marketing though for the movie great marketing great marketing i just wish they would have done something a little more clever with him yeah. like even if he would have said you know i said that like forever ago and blah 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 then whatever yeah i'm into um lizards now or whatever yeah else. But, I mean, any any other thing than just having to say, I like totals as yeah. an adult. I was like, oh, man, that's awkward. Uh, final barrel or not is singing karaoke. Full barrel. I'm going to say if you, like, if you're into it in your home, that's even a barrel. Like, if you just want to, like, you know, I got a pro in the wild karaoke story. Wow. Uh, everyone knows, I think, who knows, that there's one who's the professional surfer who fancies themselves a singer and will just give her hell man i have no idea mark aki akalupo oh, yeah, and yeah. he thinks he sounds really good i think he thinks he's ripping and he's awful at singing but he's so into it mic in hand just going to town singing and he sucks and it's funny and it's good right because yeah. it's all of it is that's what good karaoke that's what it is right it's Somebody who's not like shy standing there, like if you have to go to a karaoke bar, if that's on the docket for whatever reason, go and give her. Like go and pick a song and own it and, you know, nobody likes the pulled punch on karaoke. Well, what I was thinking was singing karaoke is super fun. Going to a car- Going to a karaoke bar, not fun. Like going there in the experience, if you're not participating is yeah. kind of like the lamest that's the last place i want to be i'd rather be having a conversation we can't talk now because we have to listen to these people sing somebody's singing up, don't stop believing getting up there and participating in singing is super fun you you get a bit of the adrenaline right and i've never done it like i've only down here they have the like private karaoke rooms that's oh, what they yeah. like the karaoke bar is not common in amongst the asian cultures i don't think it's like you go in and you get a room with your friends and that's fun too but I the karaoke bar or, or open mic night or whatever, like, yeah, being there sucks. But if you're going to participate, have at it, man. Totally. I fully agree. Like like we've talked about with dancing at a wedding or whatever, it's like get up and Give do in. your thing. Just being, do it. Yeah, being the mope on the side who's not participating in that environment is – you're Not not cool. Not, not only is it not cool, bringing down the vibe, it's – you're not having fun. And pulling the punch too, like okay, fine, I gotta dance. Going and like yeah. snapping your fingers a little bit, that's lame. Going up and singing, oh, I gotta sing and sing like the chorus, and then giggle at yourself for you know, huh? Yeah, it's lame. Give her hell. Agreed. Out. Agreed. You should start a karaoke tonight at uh, the factory. I will. Grab the mic from Travis when he's introducing a film and bust yep. out whatever. Don't stop. The worst. Believing. The worst. It's the most <laughs> common karaoke song and the worst. Give a give a Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. Like nothing compares. That'd be amazing. Nothing compares. Oh, just sing it like right. Make eye contact with Travis Fry and just exactly. sing it, holding eye contact. That's what the people singing want. with eye contact is really tough. Um. All right. Well. Hey. Thanks. To our lovely listeners for keeping the pros in the wild segment alive and well. I mean, we've stumbled on a dozen segments over the years that become its own thing. And uh, this is maybe the best of them. Best of all. Truly, I think it is almost deserving a coffee table book. I like like we, we should produce a coffee table book of pros in the wild. And in that, in the segment, or with it, with each story, 
will reach out to the pro that's profiled if they're still around and see if they remember. Give us your yeah. commentary on when this happened. Do you remember this happening? What are your thoughts? How do you remember it? Can't wait. Yeah, I like it. This is an idea right here. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks to our sponsors as well. Buell Surf, drinkag1.com slash surf and veyerwatches.com. Promo code SPLENDOR15. Chaz, anything else? That's it. Sweet, man. Have a wonderful time tonight and uh, have a great week. And we will see you next week. Until then. Bon voyage. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.